Welcome to Attorney Heart, the podcast focused on bringing awareness to and promoting attorney well-being. Join Attorney Heart as you embark on a journey to improve the quality of your professional and personal life. And now, here's your host, Fernando Flores. Looking up, there's always sky. Rest your head, I'll take you high. We won't fade into darkness. Hello, everyone. This is Fernando Flores, your host of Attorney Heart. Thank you for joining me on another episode. Today, I am very excited to bring my next uh, Attorney Heart guest, um, Ray Ibarra Maldonado. Thank you for being on. I really appreciate your time. No, Fernando, thanks so much for providing the opportunity to speak with you and your audience, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, and actually, this episode, I, I reached out to uh, different uh, connections on social media because I wanted to get some more information around uh, immigration law. It's not an area that I've practiced, but there's also so much going on with uh, family uh, separations, family detentions, that uh, I wanted to have a guest who is doing that work. And uh, just so that you know a little bit more about Ray, Ray has been an attorney for about a decade now, and he's the owner of the Ibarra Maldonado Law Group, and you work out of Phoenix, Arizona. Did I get all that right, Ray? Yeah, absolutely right. Awesome, awesome, Ray. Um, so, Ray, I wanted to just start off. I mean, on, on Attorney Heart, I'd like to get some information as to, hey, why did you decide to do the work that you are doing and open up your firm doing uh, uh, the very various areas of law? You can talk a little bit about those areas of law that you handle as well. Sure, yeah. So, I'm originally from a border town called Douglas, Arizona, mm-hmm. which is the southeast uh, Arizona and uh, Mexico border. My mom was born on the Mexican side in Aguaprieta, Sonora, so it's always even from a child, the immigration issues calling always been uh, in my life, just that, that's what it was. I've always wondered why should I be a U.S. citizen and my mom born a Mexican citizen when we were born like less than a couple miles from each other. Hmm. So growing up, um, immigration was, I guess, a part of our life, kind of in the background, but I would also go back to Douglas, move up to Phoenix when we were like four or five, and we would see people coming across the border uh, back in the late 90s, kind of the apex immigration in Arizona, and came to realize at some point, these people could be my family, and some of them are my family. And and I wanted to figure out a way to dedicate uh, my life, to make a long story short, to helping out uh, immigrants and fighting for immigrants' rights. I've been doing that now for the, I've been attorney for about nine years, but doing immigrants' rights work well before that. And uh, just been fighting the good fight. Now we do the criminal immigration and uh, personal injury out here in Arizona, do cases and immigration cases in Eloy, Florence, Asylum cases from New York to California, uh, and criminal defense. I was a former federal public defender and a former county public defender as well. So handle a lot of criminal cases also. Oh, you sound sound like you have a lot of uh, just really great experience, right? So, um, in relation to the immigration cases that you take, and let's focus on some of the issues that are taking place right now. Um, you know. Can you explain to our listeners who not everyone has immigration law background, but one mm-hmm. of the key uh, uh, cases that I've been hearing a lot about is the Flores settlement from back in, that was made back in 1997. Am I right, am I right about that? Because I also, immigration is not my background. And so that's why I wanted to yeah. bring you on as well. Yeah. So the, uh, to have a little bit of kind of the cliff notes, version of of where we're at with this crisis right now. And I do call it a crisis because I believe how we're treating people that are coming across is what creates the crisis. Mm -hmm. Asylum law in the United States of America, you must prove 
that you're in fear of persecution or you suffered past persecution in your country of origin as a result of it being based on a uh, uh, political opinion, a particular social group for a certain reason, right? And these individuals that are coming across the border fear for their lives in their country of origin, namely, you know, countries in Central America, and they're trying to come across to the U.S. Now what's happening is in the past, they could come and apply for asylum, and under the Obama administration, they would try to hold them in family detention centers. But as you mentioned, there was this Flores case from the late 90s, a case out of the the Southern District of California, and immigrants' rights advocates and attorneys went back because that case is still being litigated and said the Obama administration cannot hold kids in these detention centers for uh, indefinite periods of time. So that's when you hear about the 20-day rule that comes out. Mm -hmm. So now there's kind of a 20-day limit where kids are supposed to be kept in these detention centers. And in the executive order, President Trump asked for this uh, Flores case to really be amended so that they can keep kids locked up indefinitely. That, that's absolutely ridiculous. So that particular, uh, and it's very subtle. If you look at the executive order, I did take some time to read it. Mm. It doesn't say that it's um, uh, doing that directly, but you, you have to take a couple analytical steps, right? Because they're now attempting to attack that 1997 Flores settlement to take away that 20 day restriction in terms of the amount of time that children can be detained, right? As you mentioned. Yeah, but, but here's the thing, he knows he's not gonna win. He, he knows the federal judge is gonna say, no, I'm keeping the 20 day rule. So all he's doing is trying to have political cover for himself. So in, and when the 20 day mark hits, they're gonna have to separate the kids from the parents and he's gonna say, I tried. The federal judge is the one not letting me keep the families together but I tried to do the best that I could. So that's all the executive order was. Is uh, there a possibility then based on that, Ray, that if, and this is speculation based on, on, on the result, but it sounds like it, there is a possibility that the judge will say, you know, no, the, the Flores uh, settlement stands, um, that families will go back to being separated or am I reading that wrong? No, I think that's exactly what's gonna happen. I don't think the federal judge is gonna say, yeah, Mr. Trump, I'll let you keep kids locked up indefinitely so they can be with their parents. I think they're gonna say, in the best interest of the child, they should not be in the detained setting and they must be released. So at that point, President Trump's gonna say, I have no uh, way around this. I have to comply with what the judge said. The judge is not letting me keep the families together and try to pass the buck onto the judge. Oh, I see. Man, I mean, immigration law, you know, from what I've been reading, it just definitely gets complicated. But this is such an important analysis, Ray, that um, I think a lot of folks don't know yet because it it can get complicated, right? Yeah, I mean, the the problem with the executive order is a lot of people were just uh, praising it and coming out and saying, oh, great, we, you know, the pressure work, the corporations boycotting the individual speaking out, the leaked audio, now President Trump is caving in, but he's not caving in. He's just looking to pass the blame onto somebody else. And that's why you see in there, uh, we move to amend this the Flores case, as opposed to simply saying, if he really wanted to do away with it, he would just say, I order Attorney General Sessions to end the zero tolerance policy and revert back to how it was before that. That's one sentence to solve the problem. Instead, he's just trying to keep the family separated 
but place the blame on somebody else. So talk to me a little bit about the, the zero tolerance policy. Um, the, has there been, ultimately, what is the practical effect of that zero tolerance policy? Is it that now um, it's, it's, a, it's a more serious crime? Um, and, and what are the consequences of that uh, in comparison to before? Can you tell me a little bit about that, Ray? Yeah, so there's two federal statutes that we have to understand to figure out what the zero tolerance policy means. It's 8 U.S.C. 1325 and 8 U.S.C. 1326. The first one makes it a misdemeanor for someone to enter the country at a place other than the port of entry. The second one makes it a felony to re-enter the country after you've previously been deported without inspection. So those two statutes are the statutes at issue here. Now, in my prior work as an assistant federal public defender, I mainly defended people who had that, those charges, illegal reentry or illegal entry. The difference now with the zero tolerance policy is the U.S. Attorney's Office used to pick the cases that they wanted to prosecute based off someone's past criminal history or what they did coming into the country. The zero tolerance policy says no more discretion for you, U.S. Attorney, no more discretion for you, Border Patrol. Everybody you arrest has to be arrested. Everybody that gets arrested has to get prosecuted 100%. So what that results in is parents who come in to the border and try to go to the port of entry and they say, no, we're not taking anybody today, we're too full, and then are homeless in Mexico and decide, well, I gotta get something to eat anyways, my kids are hungry. So they cross the border and turn themselves into the first border patrol agent they see they are still, because of the zero tolerance policy, being prosecuted for a federal crime of 8 U.S.C. 1325, mm -hmm. taken to martial custody with the feds while the kids are shipped off to these detention centers. I see. So it really does come down to the zero tolerance policy being the, at the nucleus of what ends up leading to separating uh, parents. And, and if that's the part that continues, the separations are going to continue in the future potentially. Exactly. Well, we did see, thankfully, from, come from the Border Patrol yesterday as well, was them saying, we're going to hold off on implementing the zero tolerance policy mm. until we can build all these family jails, basically. Wow. So now they're in a rush to build these giant family detention centers to house the parents who are being charged criminally along with the children. And when they build those, then they're going to ramp it back up again then we will see at the 20-day period kids no longer being able to be detained with their parents and that's when the problem will grow again i think what president trump is hoping is that the media coverage on this dies off slowly so that when it does get bad again people have already moved on to the next issue got it and one question that keeps uh um, coming up, and, and I think uh, there's different organizations that are tackling it, but are there any uh, constitutional issues that uh, relate to, uh, you know, separate from the federal uh, statutory laws, right? Just any constitutional issues that come up uh, in terms of these uh, tender age camps that, that have been created, right, for kids that are as, as you know, less than a year old, um, yeah. or also any potential um, uh, United Nations related human rights laws that may be applicable 
um, you know, if you know, right? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think there are. And I think the only lawsuit that I've seen so far was filed, I believe, two days ago. And there they were arguing uh, due process, uh, the non-refoulement doctrine for, as far as international law in order to get the parents back with the kids. I think they're also arguing the INA, the right to apply for asylum, and the APA, I think they were throwing some charges in there as well. So there's, there's definitely allegations that you can bring up in a federal civil lawsuit and ask for preliminary injunctions. I think we see a lot more attorneys standing up and saying, hey, I know how to file these kinds of suits, you know, put me with the parents, put me with the potential plaintiffs, and just inundate the courts with these uh, request for the parents to be reunited with their kids. On that point, in terms of the reunification process, um, what do we know, Ray, in terms of what steps are being taken to make sure that uh, you know parents have adequate access to their children, or that the children are able to connect with their parents? Um, mm. There seems to be a lot of a lot more movement of the children across the, the nation. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so what we know is that it was a horrible policy that was even poorly administrated. Mm -hmm. So the policy says, let's separate them. The administration, how it went into play was even worse, did even more damage because they didn't really take into account at the beginning, how are we gonna keep track of who's with who? And they just didn't care. To them, it was just parents go away, kids go here, let's not keep track of who belongs to who. So now we're seeing this tremendous problem of how do we reunite parents back with their children? Uh, and it's just an example of the federal government has really dehumanized immigrants to the point of they're really treating them even worse than merchandise and, and not caring at all about the in process of getting the parents together. All they're caring about is separating so that individuals get the lesson to never come back to the United States and tell everybody back home, don't come either. Is there potentially a case number that is, is you know, assigned to each of the children that are detained or, or some, some sort of uh, information, you know, by which their, their, their case can be identified and, you know, who the name of their parents are or, or do we know that? Um, what do yeah, you know? what? What we've seen so far is little kids being given numbers, right? But there, there, there is an indication that that number will tie back to whoever their parents are. It could just be their information. So we're still um, trying to figure out exactly um, what the government's now doing. I'll be heading down to Nogales, Sonora tomorrow to meet with families and, and look for any families that have already gone through this process and perhaps have been deported or about to cross for the first time. Um, so hopefully we get some more answers in the next coming days. Got it. Um, do you have a sense of what kind of effort potentially is going to be required uh, to reunite some of these families, considering you know that that the uh, the, the, the tracking has been um, so dire? Yeah, I think we're really going to need the intervention of the federal district courts through these lawsuits and injunctions. The Customs and Border Protection, ICE, Department of Homeland Security, those agencies don't move off of phone calls or requests from attorneys. They only really move when a federal judge issues an order and hauls somebody into court and says, give me an answer, what's going on with this? 
So I think that that's the only way we're going to see a solution is when you get some judges that have the courage to take on um, the CBP and pull them into the courtroom and force them to come up with a solution. Got it. Got it. Um, there's also been a lot of interest uh, from, you know, I'm based here in California. Then there's a lot of uh, attorneys that do a lot of great work related to immigration um, here in California and in, in many other states as well, right? But there's uh, been interest also for attorneys that don't do immigration to potentially become involved in, and assist somehow, right? Yeah. What thoughts do you have in terms of if somebody is, is an attorney and wanted to provide assistance, uh, what are some steps that they can take, uh, you know, by using their, 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 their attorney background? Mm-hmm. You know, now is a great time in our history to use the tremendous amount of privilege that you have as an attorney, the education you've received, the power that you hold in having that bar number for the greater good. And if you have the interest and you have the ability, there's nothing better than taking time off from whatever it is you're doing now, coming down to the U.S.-Mexico border, be it there in California, in Arizona, or in Texas, and plugging in with the local organization that's been doing the work on the ground for years. For example, tomorrow or Sunday, I'll be going with the Florence Immigrant and Refugee Rights Project, FERP, down to Nogales, Sonora, where we're going to do intakes with people who are about to cross the border, give them an overview of what the asylum process is, explain to them uh, you know, what the boundaries are for an asylum claim and, you know, help them try to navigate through this horrific and dehumanizing system. If you have the ability to take a month, two months, three months off from your daily life and come down to the border, I'm, I guarantee you, you will find great use. You will be put to work. If you don't know immigration law, it, it is complicated. I'm not going to lie to you, but if you went to law school and have a law degree, If you sit down for a few days, you can learn uh, asylum. And if you have a mentor that you can go to ask questions for, you can be of great service. Also, when I'm talking about these lawsuits that we need to file, we also need more litigators versed in federal court uh, that can file these lawsuits on behalf of parents and children and help to reunite them as well. So we, we are facing this moral crisis in our nation. We as attorneys have a moral duty to step up and do more than we've been doing so far. And I would encourage any folks that are listening that are passionate about the issue to step up and do something about it. I like that message, uh, Ray, and I appreciate those those uh, thoughts and insights. It sounds like if you wanted to uh, start learning of a particular area that can really impact someone's lives who's directly, you know, uh, dealing with these issues, it sounds like asylum law is probably one to, to start in that can really... Uh, provide some assistance and representation to somebody in need, right? Definitely. I think asylum law is, is a great start if you're interested in helping the individual person and family. And then constitutional law, if you're interested in, in working on the bigger picture of uh, filing these lawsuits in federal court. Uh, and I would recommend, you know, just even if you look up an asylum primer and order that, there's good ones out there available through AILA, American Immigration Lawyers Association, I believe the National Lawyers Guild also has one. Professor Anchors has one um, that I believe is through LexisNexis or Westlaw. So there's a lot of resources out there that you can learn about asylum and start getting up to speed. At the same time, remember, it is super complicated. So I recommend having a mentor that can can guide you on, on what you're learning 
And that's why it's so important to plug in with those local groups that are now thankfully getting a lot of donations from across the country and across the world. Uh, so hopefully they'll be able to hire attorneys that can just work on uh, providing mentorship to these uh, attorneys that are interested in helping out. Do you happen to know the names of some of those uh, groups and organizations off the top of your head, just so that we can, you know, put a plug in uh, in, in case folks are interested in looking, looking them up and, and uh, supporting them? Yeah. So the first one, if you want to come down to Arizona, is the Florida Immigrant and Refugee Rights Project. Uh, in, in Texas, we're seeing RAICES, I think has been very successful in raising a lot of money, R-A-I-C-E-S. And in California, um, the people behind the Flores case is the Center for Human Rights and Constitutional Law down in LA with Peter Shea and Carlos Holguin. So it'd probably be good to plug in with them and I'm sure they would know who else along the border would be doing the asylum related work. And there's also a need, I think, for attorneys uh, to get involved with local community organizations based on the resistance that's happening across the country. Any civil disobedience actions that are planned, any organizing that's going on might need the assistance of attorneys, criminal defense attorneys maybe if there is civil disobedience or other issues relating to getting permits for marches or protests. So find that local group in your community and don't go there to be the savior. Don't go there to be the, you know, the person wearing the cape and you're going to solve everybody's problem. But, hey, I'm an attorney. I got a bar number. Can I be of service? How can I serve you? How can I help you? And, and see what they say. Awesome. Awesome, Ray. I appreciate that. And um, one of the things that has come up as well is just the, um, you know, and because Attorney Hart does focus on making sure that we as advocates, you know, are, 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 you know, maintaining a, a level of holistic wellness that allows us to really make an impact, right? Um, I, I want to focus a little bit on, on the wellness of uh, and the emotional trauma that the cho children are experiencing. If you happen to know, um, you know, what are, you know, what are steps being taken to, to address any of that right now? You know, uh, the separation from the parents and the you know the fear the stress the anxiety the worry um the, the the horror trauma that they're experiencing you know are there any steps from what you know that are being taken to to address the needs of those children in these early developmental stages of their lives yeah that that's one of the sadder things when you stop and think about the issue is that the repercussions that these young children will suffer for the rest of their lives not for the next weeks, not for the next months, but for the rest of their lives as a result of having our government pull them apart from their parents is unimaginable. Like we really have no clue of how much damage we are doing to these kids. And we don't know of anything the federal government is doing to remedy that. We don't know of any social services that they're saying, hey, here's a path to you know, reunite and then work through the issue with your kids. Here's how to explain it to your kids. Here's, you know, counseling that you can go to to try to get that trust and that faith back within that relationship between parent and child. Absolutely nothing. So it's just a tragedy that what's occurring and what's going to continue to occur, the, the mental health issues that these young children are going to have. And at the same time, I love your show and I love what you're doing. I think it's important for us also to talk about our own mental health on this issue. Everybody in my office, we have, you know, 11 people that work here, four attorneys. We're all depressed. We've been, we've been doing this work for the past, you know, 20 years or longer, and it, yeah. it hurts us as well on the inside. And, and there's this deep depression that we battle with every day, 
And every time we scroll through the Facebook, see another two or three stories that we hadn't seen before about the horrors that are happening. And, and we're living this, this secondary post-traumatic stress disorder by just being involved in the movement. Yeah. And, and that's something that's definitely come up in other conversations that I've had that we end up uh, in many ways internalizing that secondary emotional trauma. Right. Um, and that's, that's part of the reason, you know, why I decided to, to move forward with having these conversations because it's true, right. Um, it, it can potentially be a limiting factor into how much impact we're able to have. Right. And, uh, you know what, on that particular note, right, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought it up in that context is, um, you know, we, we should look at it not in the context that staying, like, that putting our wellness first is not a selfish act, that it really is a selfless act, because by you making sure that you take care of yourself, you're going to be able to not just show up, but show up in an awesome way, in a very yeah. powerful way where you respond to the needs and, and demands and expectations of your community. And um, if you let go of that, right, it can have, uh, you know, very, very dire effects, you know, and um, definitely any, any, anyone out there that needs that support should reach out, you know, either to myself, you know, to I matter now or to other, other support groups that provide mental wellness uh, support. And, and let's not be afraid of, uh, reaching out for that help right because we're helping a lot of other people and if we don't make sure that we're also taking care of ourselves um like you mentioned it's i mean it's like every day there's a a new bit of information that gets put out there that um is is hurtful to many people in many ways yeah no 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 doubt and i think we're seeing that as attorneys and attorneys that are listening and you know we're seeing this issue come up day and day and the same thing with the activists in the community we got we got to be there. We got to support them, and we got to, you know, be a, be a shoulder to lean on, um, so that they can come forward with the issues that they're dealing with as well. Because I I totally agree with you. If if we're not in a good place in our own lives with our family with our loved ones, you're going to eventually burn out and not be able to do anything for anybody. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, to the folks that are listening, man, I, I we we feel that same pain. And we know what you're going through. We know that you're crying. We know that you're feeling depressed and you're looking for a way to give back. And it is important that you have that strong relationship with yourself, with your family, so that you can give back and come down the border or find that local organization to plug into. And I think together in the future, they'll look back on this period in history and say, what did the attorneys do? How did they fight back? And it's going to be the people that listen to your show and the people that, um, really step up and do this great work that we're going to be reading about 40, 50 years from now. Yeah. And a lot of times also one pressure that we tend to feel is to be emotionally in a place that sometimes we're just, we can't be because of everything that we're dealing with, right? Um, sometimes the cases that we have are just so uh, emotionally challenging and difficult to listen to these stories day in and day out, you know, like dozens of times throughout the day. Right. Um, and if you, if you feel, you know, certain sadness, uh, um, definitely learning how to process that is really important. Definitely monitoring, you know, emotionally where you're at is really important so that you don't get to a really dark place, right? That eventually is going to lead to what you mentioned earlier, burnout, you know, and, and just monitoring that, making sure that you're okay and reaching out for help. If you, if you definitely need it, I'm definitely having a lot more conversations with, uh, fellow colleagues about that, you know, in terms of 
um, you know, how they're, how they're experiencing all of this. And definitely um, anger is a very common one. And then also just uh, uh, sadness, as just mentioned, depression. And um, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to stop. So making sure that you remain, that you build your own fortitude, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually, uh, is going to be really important because it's just a, a, a longer term issue, at least from what I can tell. Oh, yeah. No, no, I totally agree. I, my, before I was an attorney, I worked for the ACLU, and part of my work, work was monitoring vigilante activity on the U.S.-Mexico border. So I'd be out there following these armed racists in the middle of the desert and would just go sometimes a whole month without a day off and living in the middle of the desert in New Mexico and in Texas and here in Arizona. And, and it did get me to a point where I ended up in emergency room. You know, just that burnout and that like, oh, my God, what happened? There's a huge pain. It ends up being dehydration. And I remember talking to a priest there uh, who goes around the world and puts himself in positions of conflict uh, to try to ease those conflicts. And he he told me just directly, you know, I I know that you care about the issue. I know you're passionate, but sometimes you got to step away and take care of yourself and make sure that you're healthy so you can continue the fight because it's a marathon and not a sprint. And I've taken that to heart ever since. I mean, three weeks ago, my family, we were in Paris and London because it was just getting to the point where is so much was going on. And it's like, hey man, we just gotta get out of the country, focus on ourselves, reminder that there's something other than what's happening in the United States of America and be with each other and love each other and, and have that um, opportunity to refuel and then come back and get in the fight again. So anybody that's feeling that, I, I highly recommend, don't be afraid to take time off. And yeah, in your mind, you're gonna say, but everybody's suffering, this is still going on, this is still happening. But if you don't take that time to step back and focus on you and your family and your loved ones, you're gonna eventually end up in a bad place. I think that's such a great point, Ray. And sometimes like, like in your own experience, thank you for sharing that. Like we have to learn it the hard way, right? Because if we don't take time to rest, replenish, re-energize, refuel, right? Um, it, it, it can, that constant exhaustion and emotional drainage can lead to the burnout that you mentioned. And um, I appreciate you sharing that story in terms of a strategy that, that you use. Okay, I need to just take some time off to recenter, refocus, and so that I can keep doing the fight for a long time, which you have been doing, obviously. And, you know, for any anyone else, uh, you know, whether they're attorneys who are starting out in the, in the profession and they're getting into immigration at, at this time, which is, you know, a challenging time to, to be getting into it. Um, um, what, what other advice would you, would you recommend Ray, for them to, to think about from your own experience? I think at this point, if you're trying to get involved in immigration, maybe you're starting your own firm or you're, you know, working for somebody, the best thing to do is to focus on, building your reputation, not on earning money. My first job as an immigration attorney, I was working under a a very brilliant man and he wasn't paying me anything. Not because he was stingy, he didn't have the money, he didn't have the caseload. But I just said, hey, I need to learn this area of the law. This guy knows it. I'm gonna show up every day and when he has a case that he can pay me, he'll give me a little, but there'd be weeks that go by that I wouldn't get a dollar but I was learning immigration laws, learning from somebody that knows what they're doing. So don't be looking for the, the high dollar salary right out of law school. Don't be chasing the money right away. That'll come, that'll eventually come. 
if you build your reputation by building your knowledge of the work, by taking on the cases, by getting into the grind, by winning cases, you will build a reputation as someone who knows what they're doing, who's passionate about what they're doing, and the money will come later. So just focus on knowing and serving. Those two things will take you a long way in life. Awesome, Ray. Well said, and I agree with you on, on those points too, man. Uh, I think they apply in a lot of other areas as well. And um, yeah, uh, Ray, before we sign off, uh, how can, if you know, somebody wanted to reach out to you for more information or you know, they had a particular question, um, how can they do that? And you mentioned that you take cases uh, from California to New York. That's something that's unique about immigration law as well, right? That it's, yeah. uh, it's federal law. So uh, you can practice from anywhere and handle cases anywhere, right? Yeah, that's right. It, federal immigration law can be done in any state. And I don't like to go to other states to do it, honestly, but it's like when you get somebody out of detention in Eloy or Florence, they oftentimes want to stay with you. And I'll say, hire a local attorney, but they'll still want us. So that's why we have cases all over the country. Um, and if someone uh, is interested in, in how to volunteer or how to get more involved, our, our website's abogadoray.com, A-B-O-G-A-D-O-R-A-Y.com. Uh, if you could also follow us on Facebook too, I do a weekly Facebook live about the latest on immigration. Uh, it's backslash Abogado Ray. And there we, we give out as much information as we can and, and just answer questions. So I'm happy to plug folks into within these organizations we're working with on the ground um, and give any advice you have on, if you have any questions on starting immigration practice or running your firm, I'm also very passionate about that as well. I'll be speaking at uh, Facebook and we'll have a community boost here in Phoenix. And I'll be on a panel talking about how to use social media to grow your law firm as well. So happy to answer those questions too. Awesome, Ray. Oh, such a such a good and productive conversation. We covered everything from, you know, the the, the current crisis as you mentioned, and uh, just making sure that we take care of ourselves. And um, I think there's definitely uh, a lot of information for folks to to build on from here. So I appreciate your time, Ray. And if awesome. and I'll get the I'll get your links and information to include it in the show notes for the podcast as well. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Definitely, Ray. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening in uh, on this episode. I look forward to catching you at the next one. Uh, take care. And again, Ray, thank you so much. My pleasure. Hey, everyone. Before you go, I wanted to personally invite you to the I Matter Now 2018 conference. It's coming up August 18, 2018. It's going to be on a Saturday. It's one day of just awesome speakers related to everything from your health. How can you improve your health? We're going to have awesome doctors, uh, naturopathic doctors who focus on making sure that holistically you are well and that you are fostering wellness in your life. Uh, they're going to bring some really great strategies and tips for you to consider. Um, we're going to have entrepreneurs who have built their wealth in real estate so that if you have, you know, certain money set aside and you're trying to figure out how do I grow this? How do I make it, you know, uh, how, do, how do I make it uh, more, right? Um, you can definitely figure out different ways to do that. And we're going to have also uh, attorneys who are going to talk about productivity and making sure that you are taking care of yourself throughout the day and how that directly impacts your ability to be productive throughout the day and also how you can potentially build your legacy and um, 
our speakers are just going to be really, really great. And I hope that you make time on Saturday, August 18th to join us in San Francisco at the Hyatt Regency. And I look forward to meeting up with you then. Thank you again for listening in to Attorney Heart. And I, again, if you have any questions about the conference or to register, just go to uh, imatternowconference.eventbrite.com. Again, imatternowconference.eventbrite.com. Imatternow is I-M-A-T-E-R-N-O-W, conference.eventbrite.com. All right. Thank you so much. Catch you at the next one. Bye. Hi, everyone. Fernando here again to thank you for listening in to another Attorney Heart episode. If you like this episode, please make sure to give it a thumbs up. And if it can benefit anyone that you know, please share it. Attorney Heart is brought to you by iMatterNow. I-M-A-T-E-R-N-O-W. Please make sure to check our website at iMatterNow.com. Again, I-M-A-T-E-R-N-O-W.com. And join iMatterNow's Facebook page. Follow us for future events and additional resources. Every day presents an opportunity to engage in self-care. And remember that it is not selfish to take care of your well-being. It is necessary. So take care and connect with you on the next Attorney Heart episode.